Today's daf is daf Sari Dawid. We are beginning at the Mishnah at the bottom of Sari Gimel Amid Beis. So there the Mishnah. Misha Yonosid Dalad Noshim, person was married to four women. Umeis Arishayna Umeis, and then he dies. Now, unlike the earlier Mishnah where Rashi says they all died on that 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 they, they, that all four ksubas were written on the same day. In this case, we're going to have that the four ksubas were written at different times. So there is going to be a pecking order in terms of who can collect from the assets. Now, again, we're dealing with a situation where there might not be sufficient sufficient assets to cover all the ksuvas, so therefore the order of when your lien begins is important. But the other piece that's important, since there's a chance that your taking first might affect my ability to collect afterwards, so the Tana of this Mishnah holds that therefore the person who immediately precedes your lien and who's going to be the first one affected by your taking has a right to make you take a shvur, make an oath that you were not paid up earlier or you did not take, we're not typhus and it's rari, that you don't take any metaltalin to pay off your ksuva and that you have a full right to the collection of the ksuva to, in order to protect the, the asset from being taken that she can make you so we're going to see number three is going to be able to make spares uh, that, uh, that the uh, that if the number number two can make number one swear number three can make number two swear number four can make number three swear I mean each one is making the one swear the one that precedes them in the lien and therefore has the direct impact upon them so Misha and also Nashim the mate and the husband die the first one who has the earliest lien takes the property first before the one who has the second earliest lien. But the, uh, and, and Shniya, she takes it before the Shlishes, before the one who has the third earliest lien. And Shlishes, Revius, and the third one takes it before the Revius, the one that has the latest lien, which is the fourth one to have Exuvus uh, signed on her behalf. Now, the Rishona Nishbez Lishniya, the first one can have a dem- an oath demanded of them. Means the second one once she can make the first one swear that she has not collected the ksuva in any other form other than now that she's collecting from the land upon which she has the lien. The shnia owes that oath lishlishes to the third one, and shlishes lerevias to the fourth one. The revias who is collecting last, her her collection is not impacting on any of the other three, and therefore, she collects without needing to make a shvur. Now, Rashi points out over here, which is going to be based on more later on, is that Lechora, did we not say that anyone who collects from an estate from the Yosomim has to make an oath before they can collect? So therefore, what do you mean that they have to swear to each other? They have to swear to the estate. Every one of them should have to take this oath. So Raj is going to say, based on the Maskan of the Gemara, that this actually, this Mishnah holds like the opinions that the only time Chazal established you have to swear to the estate is when you're dealing with Ketanim. You're dealing with minors that uh, the Gemara is going to clarify later on as Somech HaShulchan that they were, they were de- they're dependent on the estate and that's when you owe them an oath. 
But if they are gedolim, you don't necessarily owe them an oath. And that's why over here, it's specifically only the ones who are directly impacted that are going to be the ones that is collected from, not the, the estate, because since we're dealing with dolim, dolim do not make the oath. That's going to be a machlokas later on about the takana, that anyone who collects from Yisomim has to take an oath. Does that mean dafka katanim or even gedolim? But anyway, the Tanakhama clearly holds it doesn't apply to all Yisomim, and therefore the only oath is to the one that is kodim, the one that, that the, the, the late, the one has the later, the later, uh, uh, shibud on the, from the ksuba. Benanas Omer, Benanas says, Why should the fact that she has the later ksuva reward her without having to take an oath? Therefore, according to Benanas, even the fourth one in line, the one that has the latest ksuva, has to also take an oath before she collects her ksuva. Now, as we said, this is talking about four women that you married, and each one had a different date, and therefore the pecking order in terms of who collects goes by the earliest date, the earliest shibud, to the latest. But what happens if the all four of the ksuvas were issued on the same day? Right? So now, in such a case, uh, the, uh, there is no way to determine from the actual date but as we're going to see, in some places they had a custom to put hours in the ksuva. Now, if you put hours in the ksuva, you put a time in the ksuva, so then also the shibud will begin based on the earlier hour. So one had a 9 o'clock, one at 11 o'clock, one at a 1 o'clock, one at 3 o'clock. The first one to collect, even though they have the same date, will be the 9 o'clock. So then, kolak kodemes lechaberta, even if she's got one hour earlier, she will have first shot at the estate with a lien that she has based on the earlier hour, right? She merits to go first. And that's what they used to write in Yerushalayim. They specifically wrote the hours to clarify so that you won't have this confusion if both ksuvas have, or two documents, have separate hours written in them. What if all four documents had the same time? So you had four staros, uh, four of the ksubas, and they were all one o'clock. So then in such a case, if there's only a mono, 100, to, 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 to try and satisfy all four claims, that would be the din of the earlier Mishnah, then you divide up equally amongst all four, because there's no Kadima, neither one has precedence. Now, this, as we're going to see, is only because if it was a place where they wrote the time. What if it's a place that the custom was not to write the time? So then the fact that no time is written, the Chorah would mean that there is no precedence in terms of order of the day, because an hour, so therefore in such a case, all four are considered equal because no hour was specifically written, and therefore it's all considered executable at the same time on the same day because there's no preference insert of time because time was not inserted. That would seem to be the simple understanding of this Mishnah. So now the Gemara circles back to a machlokas that we had at the end of the Mishnah. At the end of the Mishnah we said that according to the Tanakhama, 
if you have four ksubas that were written at different times, different dates, so then in such a case, the earliest uh, goes first, but the earliest suva owes an oath to the uh, woman that's next in line. And the number three owes a number, uh, an oath to number two. Number two goes to the latest suva, actually it was the number four in the, in, the, in the number. So number one owed an oath to number two. Number two owed an oath to number three. Number three owes an oath to number four. But number four is the latest date in the suva. She's not diminishing from anybody else. Her collecting, he's not impacting on anybody else. So the Tanakhama said, so there's no need for her to make a shvur. She collects without a shvur. Comes along with Nanas and says, no, why should she be rewarded? Because she had the later date. She also owes, uh, has to take an oath. So, Chora, what is the machlokus over here, whether or not number four needs to take an oath or not? So, by my kamiflugi, what are they arguing about? So, Amar Shmuel. Shmuel says like this. Now, there's a machlokas Rashi and Tosos, how to learn what Shmuel's about to say. We'll first learn like Rashi, and then I'll explain to you what Tosos says. But he says as follows. The case is like this. Let's say that everything went according to the order. Number one collected first, number two collected second, number three collected uh, third. Each one made the oath to the one uh, that was later than her, and comes along number four. Now, number four is about to collect. When number four is about to collect, Let's say one of the other women got wind of the fact that it's very possible that the, the property that they collected was actually stolen property. It means the property that they collected, that didn't, the title search was not done correctly or whatever it is, and they find out that the property was actually belonged to not the uh, husband that they used to collect, but the husband had either not will, uh, wittingly or unwittingly got hold of a property that did not belong to him. Which means there's a good chance in the near future what's going to end up happening. The real owner is going to come and take it. Now, since their tsuva has a lien on the estate of the husband, what they then will have a right to do is to go collect from the last property that was in the possession of the husband, which would be the property that is going to be taken away now by number four. Since it's going to be taken away from the, by number four, right, now there's a question. Because since she knows she might have to go after that property, do I really want number four taking that without an oath? I'd rather number four make an oath to make sure that she never got paid up in any other way during the lifetime of the husband because I'd rather that property stay where it is in case I lose my property and then I will want to go after that property and I don't want number four to take that property. Now we'll see in a moment there's going to be a nuance to that. Now, the way Rashi learns it is that the case specifically is talking about that one of the other, number one, two or three, heard that their property might be stolen. But if they had no knowledge or any reason to believe that what they took might be stolen, and therefore there's no reason to think that it's going to be taken away, then there's no reason for them to cause number four to have to make an oath. So they're specifically talking about, according to it, but Nana says that number four is to make an oath, is because there was knowledge to one of them that their property they found out might be stolen. Tyson's learns that no. Tyson's learns any one of the three, one, two, or three, can make number four swear, not because they have knowledge that their property might be stolen, but in case 
And also, in case they're worried that their property might be stolen, they don't have to actually have the knowledge that it might be stolen. At the end of the day, if it comes out that they lose their property, they would have to go back to the last remaining property. Therefore, the claim that number four is coming to take that piece of property could impact on them. And therefore, any number, any one, two, or three, could make number four swear if they want to do so, because it could negatively impact on them. Rashi is much more specific. Fitch much, fitch is much, fitch, 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 fits much better to the words of Al Gamora because it says that one of them found out that a property might be stolen. That's the one that's going to make number four swear. According to Tyson, any one of them can make them swear because anyone might be afraid that in the future it might end up getting stolen. Now, what's the problem over here? Why is it going to be a machlokus? Because there is the following... Machlokas that's going to be now the machlokas being Tanakama and bananas will depend on another machlokas. What's the machlokas? What happens if somebody collected property out of sequence? The collected property out of sequence means there is a pecking order in the lien, but nevertheless somebody went and collected out of sequence. Now, in this case, actually, they thought they were collecting in sequence, because when number four came, she was the last one on the list to collect, and she collected. Now, what ends up happening when number two or number three find out that their property was stolen, it becomes revealed that number four actually collected out of sequence. Why? Because she doesn't have the first shot at that fourth property. That fourth property is actually the third property that was owned by the husband because the one of the previous properties was not owned by the husband. So it comes out number four really collected out of order because that really belongs to one of the liens that were ahead of her. The question is, do we say, well, once it was collected... It's been collected, you can't get it back anymore. Or no, when we find out that you collected out of order, you gotta give it back. Now that's gonna be the machlokas here between Tanakama and Benanas. According to the Tanakama, right, if you collect it out of order, you have to give it back. So then, what are the any, what are, what is anyone afraid of? Whether it's total shot, one, two, or three, or Konrashi's shot, one of them found out their property might be stolen. What are you afraid of? Even if they collected that fourth property out of order, the rule is if you collect out of order, what do you have to do? Give it back. So why do you have to make a swear? You're gonna get it back anyway. So that's what the Tanakama holds. The Tanakama holds that the, the uh, that even the consideration that the property might have been stolen or one of the earlier ones does not allow them to invoke an oath on number four because at the end of the day, if in fact the property was stolen and it comes out now that number four collected out of order, she's gonna to have to give back the property. So therefore there's no need to make or take an oath. Then Nana's holds that no, because once the property was collected, even if it comes out that it was not collected in the right order, you can no longer take it back. So you're not going to be able to take it back from number four. If you cannot take it back from number four, in the very least, what I want number four to do is what? Take. No, they're not going to be able to give it back. I, I can't get, take it from them now because it's not proven that it's out of order because it's only a suspicion. That's a, so therefore, the most I can ask her to do is, is take an oath. But at least I should be able to let her take an, uh, take an oath. So that comes out being machlokas. So Amar Shmuel, Kegoin Shanim says Achaz Mehen Sode She'eno Shelo is that it comes out that one of the three found out that there's a strong possibility that the field uh, was taken, whether that they collected did not actually belong to the husband. 
And there's a good chance that now somebody's going to come and take it away from them. And also, And what they're arguing about is if a later creditor, a later a person with a later lien, came and collected outside of the order, means it was an earlier lien before him that should have had a shot at it before they did. That's come in. That's what they're arguing about. Tanakama Sava, the first opinion, the Tanakama Mishnah holds, Masha Gava Loi Gava. What was collected is not considered a valid collection. And the creditor, or in this case, the woman collecting the ksuva, is going to have to give back the property. And therefore, there's no need to make or take an oath. Benana Sava, Masha Gava Gava. No, what was collected is done. You can't get that back. And therefore, I have a right to ask her at least to take an oath before number four goes ahead and takes it because it's going to be irretrievable and therefore at least take an oath that you didn't get paid up in another fashion. That is one way of understanding the Machlok between the Tanakhamo and Ben Nanas. Rav Nachman Amar, Rav Baravua, Rav Nachman said in the name of Baravua, the Kula Alma Masha Gava Loi Gava. He says that's not the Machlok between the Tanakhamo and Ben Nanas. Actually, everybody holds that if you collect out of order, even though it was unwittingly, you didn't realize you're collecting out of order, but if you collect it, they even gave you the right to go collect, but then we found out that it's out of order. Why do we, how do we find out it's out of order? Because one of the previous collections was a stolen property and they would have to give it back and now it comes out that you were out of order. You'd have to give it back. Everyone holds that you don't, you have to give it back. So what's the machlokas then between the Tanakam and Venanas? If everyone holds you have to give it back, why did Venanas still hold that you're allowed to make number four take an oath? Right? He says the issue is as follows. Listen to this. The issue is like this. If I know I'm the last property, right? And I know either it could be that I know that I have collected, maybe they're going to find out and I'm going to give the property. Or I know that they could come after me because there is a stolen, one of the previous ones was stolen and they're going to, and I'm going to end up losing the land. Chances are, I'm not going to invest too much money in this property. Why am I not going to invest too much money in the property? Because what, I'm going to go ahead and fertilize and invest it, and then what might end up happening a week later, two weeks later, is going to be taken back. Therefore, I'm going to try and maximize to get out of this property as much as I can, as quick as possible, even to the extent that it's going to end up depleting and might destroy and harm the property. Therefore, so therefore, number, Rabbananas holds, if you're, if you are one of the earlier ones and you're concerned that you might have to go after that fourth property, even though you know you can get it back, but what your concern is, you're worried about number four, he's not going to watch the property because she thinks it might be taken away for her and it might end up being depleted. So at the very least, I want her to take an oath because I want to do whatever I can to stop her from taking that property. Let her take an oath and maybe she'll admit that she had got brought, uh, paid earlier so she won't take it because if we do let her take it, I'm concerned she's going to deplete the asset. That is what the is all. Therefore, take an oath. Right? So therefore, what are they arguing about? They're arguing about whether or not we're concerned that number four will deplete the asset. That's what we call it. All right. Tamar Savar Chayshinon. According to Ben Nanas, we are concerned. And since we're concerned, you have a right to make or take the oath. Shemataksiv. Umar Savar. However, the Tanakama holds. We're not concerned that she's going to do that. And therefore, you don't, you're going to get a property back. You'll get it back. So there's no need for her to take the oath. Now. Yeah, when she did a fire sale, though, it's very difficult to recollect. What's that? Well, even if you can recollect, but you're not going to recollect it at the same value of whatever. That, that's what they're not assault. Therefore, make or take an oath. 
According to Rabbi no, I'm not worried that she's going to go out of the way, dafka and destroy the ass. I'm not worried about that. Abaya Amar, Abaya says a third explanation, what could be the machlokas here between Tadakam and Benanas? And he says, Abaya was a later Amora, fourth, uh, third, fourth generation Amora, and he said in the name of, he said what they're arguing about is the ruling of Abba Kashisha, the, uh, Abba the El, Abaya the Elder. Now I'm not sure if his Abaya the Elder was actually a Tana, or maybe he was an, it's a very early Amora, but it was somebody also called Abaya that lived a few generations before the Abaya that we're familiar with. He's known as Abaya Kashisha. That's Ikabanai, what they're arguing about, that's what they're arguing. What does, the Tani Abba Kashisha, because Abba Kashisha taught in a Brisa, as follows, and this is the Takana we're all familiar with, is that we know that any time you collect, whether it's a creditor, anybody collecting from an estate where there are orphans, the Chazal established you should not collect from them unless you take an oath that what? That their father, prior to passing away, did not in any way satisfy the existing debt. You owe that oath to that it's a legitimate claim. You owe that oath to the orphans. But now what did Abba Kashisha say? That it means even if they're adults, even if they're adults, even if they're independents, and they have no way of knowing, right? Even if, I'm sorry, if they, if they were, even if they're adults, we still say that they're considered somewhat like minors, so they have no way of knowing what the father did or did not do, and therefore you owe the adults as well, or the independents as well, you owe them an oath, right? Things are love time, and for sure if the orphans are minors, you owe them the oath. Now, that's the machlokus over here, because we know there is such takana. Don't collect from the yasom, and don't collect from the orphans without an oath. Right? Tanakama lays with Abakashisha. The Tanakama disagrees with Abakashisha. Tanakama said it was only made for the minors, for dependents, not for independents, not for people that are like adults that can take care of themselves. That wasn't the, so the only ones that can demand an oath. Children. Are the children. So therefore, so therefore in our Mishnah, the, the, there's no need for number four to make an oath to the estate, because we're talking about the estate happens to be Adults, and therefore there's no need for number four to make, they don't have to make an, uh, an oath to any of the early ones, the early ones already got what was theirs, number four doesn't have to, it's got nothing to do about worrying about being stolen, or not being stolen, we're not talking about that situation. It's a regular case where there were four women with tsubas, number four, Kornitana Kama, there's no need for them to make an oath, I, what about to the estate, we're dealing with adults, the estate, the adults, you don't have to make an oath. Whereas Benanas holds, is there by Kashisha, they hold the Takano, that you have to make an oath, goes to the estate no matter whether or not it's minors or even adults. So therefore, number four always has to make an oath. Not to number three, two, and one, but they need to make the oath to the estate. That's why they need to make the oath. That becomes the machlokas. Very good. So we have got three different explanations as to why there requires, why not, there's machlokas whether number four is required to take an oath or not. I think goes down to a, a, new, a new idea. Amar of Huna. Hani Treachi. You either have two brothers that are share an estate together. They join, they join uh, ownership over an estate. Father left them a property they own together. Or Treishutfi. Or you have another case with two partners. But same idea. The two partners have shared uh, ownership in a particular asset. Right? The Hizbudina Bahadi Chad. Now the third person shows up and he lays claim to the estate or to the asset that is joint by, jointly owned. 
right? One of the two, only one brother or one of the partners went and was the defendant in the case. So it was the litigant, I mean only one of the two partners, one of the two brothers actually went to court, right? Now, what happened was the court awarded against the, either the brother or the partner. Now, the case is that the second brother or the second partner shows up. One second. The award was only made against him. So, therefore, you don't have a right to claim the entire asset. You only have a right to claim his portion. But you would have to have another case against me to take. That's the claim of the either the second brother or the second partner who was not there while the case was going on. So the Gemara says that's not a valid claim. Because if you have a shutif, you have a partner, or you have a brother that you jointly own, and there is litigation against the estate, or against the asset, the fact that only one goes, that one is viewed as representative of, of both. And therefore, whatever the ruling of the court is going to be, is affecting both. That's what the, see, that's what he said. He says, that the second brother, or the second partner cannot say to the claimant, that, who are you? You're not, you can't come and take it away from me. You, 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 you sued him. You didn't sue me, right? You can't say that. We look at it as if the defendant was an agent for the other brother or the other partner and whatever ruling was made against the asset then is viewed as a ruling against both. Against both parties. Alright. So that's the ruling that was made by Rav Huna. Okay? So now, Rav Nachman Rav Nachman who was considered one of the chief Dayanim, the chief judges of Surah, of, of, of Bavel, went to visit the city of Surah. So when he came to Surah, they were questioning him, asking about legal procedures, and Shailuk, Yahai they might asked him this Shailuk, what is the ruling, and what precedent, and what support can you bring to whatever you're going to rule? So, Amr Lohu, Matis, and he, he says, this question we just learned. Right, now let me tell you outside what his ruling was. So like this, we have a situation, the husband dies, and leaves four ksuvas and dated at different dates. Right? So we say it like this is when number one comes to claim, she's got the earliest date, number two can make her take the oath that what? That she had not been paid up earlier in the lifetime of the husband. Now why? Because by number four taking her claim, it impacts on number three. Right? Because now there's less assets for number three. But the truth of the matter, it doesn't just impact the number three. It impacted number two and number one as well. Right? Because they all had liens. They were on some level like partners in the asset. And yet we see that the only thing is, we say number three makes number four take an oath, and that suffices. We don't say that number two can come and I'll make her take an oath and number one come. Why? Because number three is viewed as representative of everybody that has shared impact in this property. She works as their agent and therefore you only need the oath to number three. You don't need another oath to number two and number one. So I'm not going to want to bring that as a proof for the ruling over here with the brothers or with the partners that even if only the litigation was only against one, it's viewed as litigation against the, uh, the, the entire uh, people associated with that property as well. So Mona says like this. 
Bechorah said Rav Chaim, that is our Mishnah. HaRishonah, Mishnah Zoshni, it says the first, the earliest Suva makes an oath to number two, right? Shni and number two makes an oath to number three, Lashishas. And Shlishas Leviyas and three makes it number four. Ve'ilur is shown on but doesn't say that number three needs to make an oath to number. No, I'm, I'm sorry, that number two needs to make an oath to number four, or number one needs to make an oath to number three. It doesn't say that. Why not? Because the chorah, the oath to one, is viewed as she's representative of the entire group. So my timer, what's the reason? Love it not, Mishum Abdo, is because she is viewed as the proxy, as an agent of what? For all of them. The Chorah, that's what Rav Nachman's uh, proof and precedent for his ruling is. And I'm all but he has Tanoic precedent. So the people of Surah were, were, were sharp. And they said, that's not a good proof. Why is that not a good proof? Because it is true in our Mishnah, the oath to number, from number one to number two suffices for all of them. Because what's the difference? An oath, it's like there's an expression in, 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 in the Gemara, if you light one candle, it's good for one, it's good for a hundred. Right? An oath, once the oath was made, that oath, she made an oath that she swore she never got paid earlier. So even though she made it to number two, it should be enough to satisfy number three and number four as well. Because at the end of the day, that's the same oath. It wouldn't have changed no matter which one is the one soliciting her to make the oath. Whereas the argument of the partner or the argument of the brother is, one second, you know, it could be I have a higher IQ than the fellow that you sued, or I am more of a legal knowledge, or I have more intimate knowledge of my father's holdings, so therefore me being there could have made a difference. So therefore, the, the, who says in such a case that your litigation against one should also count... For uh, all uh, there makes us, there is a logic to distinction, make a distinction that he should not necessarily be a proxy or a par, or, 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 or an agent for everybody involved. So bringing a proof on the case of Shvua is not necessarily a good proof for what you want to rule. Right? You hear the distinction, yeah. right? So when I was like a meat donny, can you compare the two? It's apples and oranges. Hasam shavul echad shavul amel. One oath to one is no different than one oath to the hundred. It doesn't change the fact that one is eliciting the oath, or there's there's a hundred soliciting. The, either way, that's the same oath. It doesn't change no matter who's there. Hacha over here, the partner who was the silent partner, the one that wasn't being sued in court necessarily, or the brother that wasn't the one who was defending in court. Amar ilu anahave, if I would have been there, I would have been able to claim better, I would have been a better defendant than my brother or than my partner. So maybe you do have to sue the other fellow. We don't say that the first one represents the both right? But I believe, but Moses is like this. This argument is only valid. If the court case that took place, the brother or the partner was not in the city. He wasn't at the city at the time when it was going on. So he could say, I was away in China when it was going on. It's not fair. Right? I would have, then you can have an argument. Maybe you can only take his portion, but you cannot touch mine. However, but if he was around at the time, and he was aware at the time that the case was going on, then what would be the requirement? 
He should have shown up in court. He didn't show up. That's your prerogative not to show up. But then you can't come back and claim that, you know, to take another case against me. Then he boiled a Macy, then he should have shown up himself. And the fact that he didn't show up, he can have no claim that I would have argued better if I would have been the defendant. That is not a claim. All right. Let's go back to it. It was stated. Usually it's a machlokus amaroyim. You have over here two documents. Okay. Now, there's a question over here, what kind of document? Rashi says it's a star mecher. You have two documents that Ruven sold his property. The problem is, they both dated the same, and one was a sale to Shimon, and one was a sale to Levi. So Shimon and Levi both show up that they're owners of the document. Now, there's no question, if they can get hold of Ruven, Right? Ruvain's going to have to pay out one of the parties. Right? Let's say that like, Ruvain's in Mexico. He, he, he took off. He's not around. So now you've got Shimon and Levi showing up in court, each one showing a document. And, but the problem is, each document is signed, uh, is, is, is signed on the same date. What are the Basedins supposed to do under such circumstances? That's the question here. So now, Rav Amar Chokin. Rav says, listen, it's a suffix, you don't know what to do over here. 50-50, they split it. Now obviously that means each one now can go after Ruvay, the original seller, for 50% of what they're losing. But in terms of just dealing with the situation at hand, we just have to split the property, split the asset, 50-50. That's, Rav says, the best case scenario. Shmuel Amar, Shmuel says something that we touched on before. We learned earlier, there's a concept of Shudah Dadaini. Shudah Dadaini means literally it's the cast, it's the role of the judge. Meaning that, and this Machogzi Rashi tells us, Rashi learns that if he has a instinct or a gut feeling based on what he sees, it makes more sense that who did the seller want to give it to? Mm-hmm. Even though it's not something that necessarily you have full evidence, because you have full evidence we wouldn't have a Machogzi but there is that circumstantial, but it's not enough that, he, that, that Shimon could have claimed against Levi with, but it seems to the judge that it really should belong to Shimon. He can award the entire amount to Shimon, or he can award, that is the prerogative, it's like the prerogative of the judge. Taisa says you don't even have to have any proof one way or the other. You just go ahead and do what you want. God will make sure it ends up in the right place. That's how like Tosu seems to learn. But Ravi seems that there has to be some kind of sense you have about who Reuven would have wanted to sell it to, and who was he trying to jip. So you can sell it to the one, and then, and then you can give it there. So there comes out a bit machlok, because according to Rav, you're saying yachlokum, and according to Shmuel, you're saying shudadadaini. Shudadadaini is not yachlokum. What does shudadadaini mean? You're giving it all to one of the parties, and the other one then can have to go look and find Ruvain, track him down, and, and make him pay for it. But that's the machlokus here. Tomorrow mm-hmm. says, what are they arguing about? What is the machlokas that they're arguing about? Mara wants to tie this to a huge machlokas that the first few blot of Gittin deals with. In Masaka's Gittin, now there, bear in mind, we're not talking about a document that is a, um, a sale document. We're talking about a get. A get, which means it's, it's a, a divorce document that the husband gives and it executes separating the man and the woman, divorcing the man, the woman from the man, the man from the woman. That is what the get is. Now, what's the machlokas over there? Machlokas as follows. What is get? The Torah tells us man has to give 
a woman a document, and that document that executes severs the, the marriage. The machlokas is as follows. According to the Sheet of Rav Meir, it's not enough just to have witnesses see that you give a woman a document that states that I am divorcing you and you're no longer my wife, whatever. You need to have all of the information that is pertinent inside the document. Meaning, you have to have Adam signed on the document. It's the Adam signed on the document that caused this to be an executable transaction. Just witnesses saying that they viewed it being given over is not sufficient. If you don't have the Adam signed, the Adam signed, actually, when the Adam signed, that executes the transaction. The signing of the Adam, not the witnesses that are testifying that it was given over. That is the Shita of Rav Meir. It's Eide Chasume Karti. It's the Adam that are signed that caused the execution of the transmission. They're called the severance of the marriage. Where according to Rav Lazar, Rav Lazar says, you know what? It might be a good idea to have witnesses signed in there. Because if you're going to rely just on the witnesses to testify they saw it being given over, what if you can't get hold of them? Yeah. What if they died? What if they're not here? Therefore, write it. But you don't have to. Even if the document is written in such a way that there are no signators written in the document, all you have were Ada and Masira, witnesses that saw it being hand-delivered from the husband to the wife, that is enough for the, the ex- execution of the transaction. So therefore, comes out of the big machlokes. According to Rav Meir, the information, the, 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 most, the, the most impact you can have is only based on what's written in the document. And therefore, if no witness in the document, it's a, it's a worthless piece of paper. Where according to Rabbi Lazar, you can have the execution of the document without having pertinent information as long as the witnesses can attest to some of the information that is necessary, even if it's not written in the document. Now that's by get. What does it have to do with our case where there is a document that has been written of, that, that land was being sold from A to B? So what, what, uh, uh, what the Gemara is suggesting is that maybe the Machlokas Rab and Shmuel is really the Machlokas Rab Elazar, Rav Meir and Rav Elazar. How so? What did Rav Meir say? Rav Meir said, I'm sorry, Rav, Rav, Rav said Yachloku. Rav Yachloku means over here is you have to split it. The Gemara says, you know why? Because you have two documents saying that Ruben sold this property, one to Shimon, one to Lay, and they dated the same time. Right? They dated the same time. They obviously had to be signed the same uh, uh, date. There's no time written. It would time would be all different story. Since there is no time written in there, so therefore they're both equally executable. Because you never put a time in there. So therefore they both are considered like they're almost executable, they're executable at the same time. Right? It doesn't really matter whether one was in the morning, one is in the afternoon. Because when there's no time written in, then the date itself, like we learned before, the date is becomes what is paramount. And the date, it makes no difference, one earlier, one later. Right? Because all you have is date written in there that this was the date. The 5th of Nisan was the date. Then the sale took place, but both took place, both took place. So therefore, what are you going to do in such a case? One is no stronger than the other. And therefore, even bringing witnesses, let's put that, that which one happened first, 
won't help you in this particular case. Rashi actually throws in another svara. Rashi throws in a svara that, and the fact that you specifically left out the date means that you wanted to allow yourself the opportunity to maybe retract as long as the day is not over, right? So it's not clear whether you wanted the first one to be valid or you wanted the second one to be uh, not, uh, not be valid. So I think Tosvos, but the other Shadim Lord, you don't need that Svar. The Svar is that they both have the same exact date. It means they're both executable based on the content. The content is they both execute on the same day. Therefore, one is no stronger than the other one. Therefore, what do you have to do according to Ra? Yachloku. You don't have a choice. You have to say Yachloku. So therefore... So there, so Rav to Amak Rav Meir, Rav holds like Rav Meir to Amar Eidah Chastim Karti that the Adim that are signed execute all the information has to come from the document itself, and since it all has to come from the document itself, therefore the only information over there that it happened on the same date. That's the only part, and it doesn't matter what morning, afternoon, that won't make a difference because it goes by the signatories in the thing. Therefore, it's Yachloku, you don't have a choice. You don't have one, there's no, no, there's no upper hand to the other one. Shmuel holds like Rabbi Lazar, the Amma Adam Sirkarti. It doesn't matter what's written in the date, but really what executes is the deliverance, when it was delivered. And since it is possible to show which one was delivered earlier, which one was delivered later. Therefore, the judge has the right to say it's based on who, uh, who, who I think I would have favored. Because the one he would have favored would be the one that what? That's the punchline first. That's the one he would have favored. The other one he's trying to jip. So therefore, that's what, therefore, in this case, I don't say Yachloku. I have a right to say that the judge, especially Roger's learning, whoever he feels, that's the one he wanted it to go to. That is, I want to make it a machlok between Rabbi Loza and machlok between Rabbi and Rabbi have by Gitzin. That's the machlok that's over here between Rav and Shmuel by the Shtar Mechira. Right? Tzimora so says like this. Uh, like, we don't have to say that. And the reason we're going to see in a moment why we don't want to say it is because actually in the, by Gitzin, the law is we pass it like Rabbi Loza. So you don't want to say that Rav holds like Rav Meir if the Machlok between Rav Meir and Rav Eloza we paskin like Rav Eloza. We'd rather have the Machlok as Rav and Shmuel be in the position of Rav Eloza, not in the position that Rav comes out holding not like the Halachi position. That's what we assumes right now. So we don't want to make that. So we're like, Kula Alma Kurav Eloza. Everybody holds like Rav Eloza and that generally it could be figured out. It could be figured out because it doesn't have to say they happened at the same time because it's not based on the Adam that's signed. It's based on the Adam Mesira. And therefore, it could be figured out which one works, which one doesn't. Was it a retraction? Was he trying to jip the second guy? You could figure out more or less what makes sense and decide on your own who it belongs to. So then why is there a machlokus over here? There's a, conceptually, you can understand philosophically, what is a better ruling of a judge? You know, mm-hmm. you know over here that one of them owns the land, but don't equally. No, one of them owns it, the other one doesn't. Now, if you say go 50-50, at least the one who really owns it, at least he gets half. The other way to look at it, but now you've for sure made the one who owns it lose half. So therefore, what's better to do? Is it better to award it to the one you think it might belong to and then you have a chance that the one that really does own it is getting the full amount? But there's also a chance that that fellow now who owns it might be ending getting up zero. Or is it better to say 50-50 so that the one who really does own it at least 
Okay. That's the machlokus over here between Rav and Shmuel. In the sheet of Rav Elazar, that Adam is Sirakarti means you could technically have feelings one way or the other. Who really does? Because only one owns it. Yeah. But do we want to go 50-50 on that? Do you want to go a zero or nothing? A hundred or zero on it? That's the question over here. Going 50-50 is the better way to go. Shmuel Sava, Shudah, the Daini, Adifa, no. It's always better to go with the gut feeling of the judge because then the person who does own it, it's possible he gets the full amount and not that he's going to be losing it, uh, for sure losing a half. You know, you take the chance, he might be losing all day, but that's the better way to go, according to Shmuel. asks the Gemara a question. Can you really say that Rav holds like Rav Lozer? It means what you wanted to say was that Rav holds, not like Rav Meir, that it goes by the signatories in the star that transacts, but it goes by the adium that's he giving over. That's what we want to say. And the machlokas just means which is the better way to divide. But not necessarily with a both hold like Rabbi Loza. That's not going by the signatories signed in the document, but it's going by the witnesses who testify giving over. Can you really say this? Ha'ama Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav. You know, Rav Yehuda learned the Yeshiva of Rav. Uh, before he switched over to the yeshiva of Shmuel, before Rab died, and he said, Halacha Rabbi Lozer the Gittin. He said specifically, the Halacha follows Rabbi Lozer, that it goes by the Adem who give it over, not by a sign, but he said specifically, when is that true? In the case of Gittin. In the case of Get. That document re- uh, does not require information pertinent be contained within, to execute contained in the document. You can rely on the witnesses. But in the case of transactions, or in the case of IOUs, if you want this to have a full transaction of a document, a full documented transaction that puts liens and creates liens and all kinds of things, it has to have the witnesses Signed, that's what, and then we're going to see. So therefore, I'm a Rabbi Yehuda, I'm a Rabbi. I love Rabbi Laws of the Gitin. And Kiamrisa came to Shmuel when, when Rabbi Yehuda then moved from Yeshiva of Rabbi after Rabbi passed away. And I told Shmuel that, I'm a Avbishtaros. He says, I hold not just by Gitin. We paskin like Rabbi Lozer. We also hold it by, by financial documents. Not just in the case of, that you don't have to rely on the signatories. You don't have to have signatories in the document. You can rely on Adam that witnessed the transaction as well to have the full effect to give it the koach of the star in its maximum capacity. Mishlal, who can infer from that, the fact that Shmuel said that I hold Allah like even by monetary things, so therefore the Rav Savar Bishtarois, lo, the Rav did not hold this is true by financial staros. He only passed like Rav Eloza specifically by getting and not by other staros. So our problem is, so then how could you say what we just said? We said, no, everybody holds like Rav Eloza. The only argument, what's better? Should it be Daini or Yachloku? You can't say that because we see clearly that Rav does not hold. Rav, yeah, he holds Alokos like Rav Eloza, but only by getting. He doesn't hold Alokos like Rav Eloza when it comes to other financial documents. So when it says, you're right, on the Chaberta, Rav, Rav, Meir, Shmuel, Rav You have to go back to our original point that Rav actually is paskining over here Yachloku based on Rav Meir's sheet. He holds like Rav Meir, since it's executable at the same time, therefore you have to say 50-50, whereas Shmuel says, he goes like Rav Elazar, you don't have to rely on the signatories, you can rely on the Adam and Sira, therefore it's possible to figure out one owns it 100%, the other one does not, and you go with the rule of should it
dining. Mesivay, the Gemara has a question now, and we're going to see what the question is. Well, it says like this. Shnei Staros, you have two documents, alright? Hayotzin beyom echad. They were both written on the same day. Chokin, that the way you do it, deal with it, in our case, Reuben sold the property to Shimon, sold the property to Levi, they both come out, so what is it rule? Chokin, you go 50-50. That's what Rav said, you go 50-50. What did Shmuel say over there? No. He says you go, should have the dining, you can award it all to one person. But this is a brysa. Or it's a Bryce or a Mishnah. It's a, ta- it's a Tana, either way. It's a Tanaic source. So how can Rav argue? How, how can Shmuel argue with that? This would be a reputation on Shmuel's position. You don't say Cholkin. He say that you say Shudadaini. That's not a question. Because Shmuel does acknowledge that there is a Machlokas Rav Meir and Rav Lazar. Shmuel just said Shudadaini in the Shita of Rav Lazar that you don't go by the signatures in the document. You go by the Eid of Mesira. So it could belong all to one person. And that's why he said should have died. That brizer that said you go 50-50 could be holding like Shmuel. I mean, holding like Rav Meir. And holding like Rav Meir, that's why you're going 50-50. So you can't ask me Akasha from that source. She says like this. Let's see it inside. Someone says, I'm a lot small. How many? Rav Meir, he could be going like Rav Meir. But I'm the Amri, and I, my, my ruling is, say, should have died. He's going like the sheep of Rav Loza. Frag the Gemara. So what are you going to tell me? That Brysa is going like Rav Meir. Let's continue reading that Brysa and see if all of it fits like Rav Meir. E, Rav Meir, Emma Seva. Say the second half of that Brysa. What does it say over there? It says, Kosov le'echad, umaso le'acher. Let's say document A was written in uh, and signed in the morning to one party, but it was not yet delivered, right? So, it was the, but it was there were the signature signed in it. Then what happened was, and, and that was to, to let's say Reuben uh, wrote it for Shimon. Then Reuben wrote later a second document to Levi, and there it was handed over. Now, let's talk about it for a moment. If you're going like Rav Meir, which document should be the more viable document? Why? Because it was delivered. No, no. The first one was only signed. The second one was delivered. But according to Rav Meir, you're right, he holds that the, the signatories give the validity to the document. The transaction is executed as long as they sign. So therefore, that should be A. Right? The second one, but it doesn't say that. It says that if the second one was given with witnesses that saw it being handed over, that, that the one that saw it being given over, that document is the valid, that's the one that takes it supersedes. The Chorah, that clearly is not going like Rav Meir. That's going like the Shita of Rav Elazar, that you go by Eid Asira. And still it said that you go and you don't know what to do, you go 50-50. So we're back to our question. Even the Shita of Rav Elazar is 50-50, not like Shmuel, who who said, should it die me? The Rav Meir, Amai Kona, why should the second document be Kona? He said, you don't go by the Eid of Mesira, by the, the deliverance is not what's key. The, what's key is the transaction, the signing is what's key, right? Someone says, you're right. That price that clearly shows in the sheet of Rabbi Lazar, you go 50 50. Mm-hmm. 
But Rashmul had another Tana that goes in the sheet of Rabbi Loza and says, you say, should have died. So it's actually a Machlokas Tanoyim in the sheet of Rabbi Loza that says, Ada Mesira Karti, do we go 50-50 or do we say, should have died? And Shmuel was passing like the Tana who holds in the sheet of Rabbi Loza that we say, should have died. Let's see. The son you learned in a which is the way Rav understood. But here in Babel they said, is that the third party should do whatever he wants. Now actually, Rashi explains it's not another simple case. The case everybody was talking about, somebody appointed an agent. He appointed an agent, a trustee, I owe $10,000 to Shimon. So you have this, this agent who's going with the time he, he and, and, and Shimon lives in, 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 in New York. So he takes the plane, goes to New York. By the time he gets there, uh, Shimon is dead. Now Shimon has Yorshin. So his question is, do I give it to Is Yorshin? Yorshin no. He says, I'll go back and ask Ruben. Ruben who gave it to him. I'll go back and ask Ruben. By the time he gets back to Los Angeles, Ruben has died. And Ruben also has Yorshin. So the question is, what do I do? Is it that it should go to, does it go to Shimon's Yorashim, or does it go to your, your ruins? So Tana comes, the Chachamim say, what do you do? 50-50. 50-50. Comes along the, the Chachamim, I believe it's Chachamim Babel, and they say, no, no, you do what you see fit. You knew the guy. Who do you think he wanted to go? Do you think he wanted to pay it off to the Yorashim of Shimon? Would he want it to come? Now that's Shuddha the Daini. That's like giving you, the one who has the best knowledge, to determine who it should go to. So what do you see? This Machlokas Tachachamim, when you don't know what to do with it, like clearly wanted to go one way, do you say 50-50? So you see that, so that Shmuel Paskin, the Shuddha the Daini, like these Chachamim, the, the, like these, the ones that the, 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 the argue with the Chachamim, that's Hashmuel Paskin, the one that Bryce before we said was 50-50, was going like the Chachamim of the Tanakhama was Bryce. Mora brings down a story. He made the Rami Barchama, there was the mother of Rami Barchama, Kasvinu Lemixte, the Rami Barchama, Betzapra. In the morning, she wrote over all of the assets. She had a tremendous amount of assets. She said, it's going to my one son, whose name is Rami. Laurta, towards evening, she wrote a new document that gifted all of her assets to a different son. Okay? And then she died. You know, what do you do? Each one is coming now with a document saying that I own my mother's assets. So also Rami Barchama, the Kameidur of Sheshus. So Rami Barchama came to Rav Sheshus. Now he was the later one. He was the later one. So, and he gave it to him. Rav said, you're the later one, I'm giving it to you. Right? Uh, let this make sure we had it. Rami, the first, no, I'm sorry, Rami Barchama was the, uh, the earlier one. Ra, the Rami Barchama came to Rav Sheshis and Rav Sheshis said, you were the guy in the morning, you keep it. Alright? But then, Mar Ukva went to Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman was the chief dying in Bobo. He went to him and he said, this guy wants to give it to my brother. And Ukme, he said, you get to keep the assets. So, uh, so Rav Sheshis gave it to Rami and Rav Nachman gave it to Mar Ukva. Alright? Now, also Rav Sheshis will come to Rav Nachman. So now, when Rav Sheshis heard Rav Nachman overturned his ruling, he said, what are you doing? He went to Rav Nachman and said, why are you ruling against me? Why did you do this? 
So what Rav Nachman said to him, I don't understand what you did. Why did you rule the way you ruled? Amalei, my time of Marachi, why did you rule the way you did? So Amalei, the Kadim, because I went with the earlier document. The earlier document I held was the valid document. Alright? Right? Well, especially if you hold like Rav Meir, that the Adim uh, is, is considered the transaction. I went with the earlier one. So Amalei, he says, Atub Yerushalayim Yasvinon. He says, do we live in Jerusalem? In Jerusalem they put hours. Here we don't live in Jerusalem. So yeah, they put dates. If they put dates, then there's no difference whether or not it's in an A.M. appear. Bottom line is, as long as it's the same day, it's as if it happened at the same time. So Kasvinan, so therefore we live in Yerushalayim, the Kasvinan, Shalos, so Elam, Mar, Maitame, fine. So why? They didn't put hours. But then why did you award it to the later one, right? So Amalei should have died because I have the right of discretion as a judge to determine which one she would have favored more and I determined the later one is the one that she really wanted and that's why I awarded her all to the later one and not the earlier one. That's based on the concept of should have that we saw the judge has the right. So Amalei, so, so that was, so Rav Sheh said Rav Nachman, so then let mine also be should have died. I determined it should be Perfect. To the earlier one, right? Why does your should have died be better than my should have died? So there are Ayanami should have died. Is Amalei Rav Nachman said to him two things. Chada one is Dana Dina my love Dina. I am officially a Dine in Bavel. The Reish Kalusa, who was a son-in-law from that family, he made me the official judge. So only I have the right to do should have died. You don't have a right to do should have died. That's problem number one. And furthermore, the ode, when I asked you why you did it, you didn't say because it was at my discretion, I felt, you said because it was the earlier one. That was the wrong move. So you can't come back now and say, oh, I was doing it at my discretion or should have denied me, when you told me already the reason you did it is because you thought the AM is better than, which is a mistake, because since there's no hours, the early one is not necessarily better than the later one. So for both of those reasons, your ruling is overturned. Right. It's like this. Hundred trade story. There were two documents. The came before Rabbi Yosef. One document said that the transaction took place on the fifth of Nisan. The The second document was written, and they didn't put a date. It just said Nisan. Now Nisan could be the first of Nisan. Nisan could be the twenty-ninth of Nisan. So now, which one has rights to whatever the purchase of that document allowed them? So Ukme Rab So Rab Yosef self held the document that has the stronger uh, power here is the one that actually is at the fifth, right? So the Ukme therefore so therefore Ukme Rab Yosef he gave to the documents of the Nisan he gave him the assets. So Amale Idah Fana Absid. So the other one has said I have the document said that it was sold to me in Nisan. Why should I lose? So I'm a lay because ad yadak alatachtona because you have the you you are, he has leverage on you you are the lower hand if you want to prove it's yours then what do you have to be able to show that what that what that it took place it took place before the fifth of Nisan if you yes it could be if you can't prove it came before the Nisan he can prove he can say that it took place on the 29th of Nisan so therefore the burden of proof is on you he has fifth of Nisan his is for sure you don't have that therefore you need to prove otherwise I'm giving it to him so he says he says because it could be the 29th of Nisan the last day of Nisan could be when it was done with you therefore you don't have it so fine. Now, 
the, the guy says, fine, I agree you give it to the guy on the fifth. Fine, I have, I have no problem with that. But now, I bought something from somebody, he sold me something he had no right to sell me. I have a doctor with insurance, I should be able to go back now and collect from the guy who sold it to me, and if he doesn't have any assets left, what should I be able to do? I should be able to go and collect from anybody that bought property from him, at least on the first of ER and on. First of ER and on, that's for sure after my transaction took place. So therefore, I have a lien on his assets that occurred on any of the assets that he had. So write me a document that anybody who purchased from him from the first of ER and on, that I should be now be able to take back and my collect on the purchase price that I... I was gypped out of right now. So he said, Give me a document of collection. I want a document of collection. From ER and on. I can only ask from ER and on. Because he could only be, from what he has approved, only from the 29th of this son. So he has to ask from ER and on that he's allowed to collect. So he did that. So I'm a lay, but, but he said, so, so he asked for that document. So the dying said, I can't give it to you. Because if you're going to go ahead and so does someone, I have a star from this son. Right? He can say to you, well, maybe your star was from the first to the first to the fifth. Which means you are the real owner of that property and you don't have a right. The one who's cheating is the one on the fifth. So that does, therefore you, your fight is not with me. Your fight should be with the guy that has on the fifth. Means he's getting slammed on both ways. And the guy in the fifth, he could say maybe your document was written after the fifth. The guy who now he wants to collect from incumbent properties from here and on, he wants, he, that guy can say, well, maybe your document was the one that was previous, and you need to be fighting with a guy who has document of fifth. So I'm, so therefore, so I'm a lay, so the dying said to him, I can't write to the shards here. He said, maybe you really were Rashkodesh Nisan, and it's really that original property should be yours, not his. Go fight with him, not with me. Right? So Maita Kante said, what should you do? See, the more comes out with a good chat. The guy that has the document that just said Nissan should go back to the guy that has the document that says the fifth. And he says, listen, make me your proxy. I'm stuck over here. You know, I understand I'm giving you the land, but make me your proxy and let me come both with my document and your document to the guy that bought the land in here and on. And I'll say, listen, bottom line is you have a property that we have a right to collect. Either because I was after the fifth, so I have a right to collect it from you, or even if I was before the fifth, but I have the document of the guy that's from before the fifth and I'm working as his proxy and he has the right to collect. Well, one of us have the right, so therefore you come now with the representing the other the party, then the guy can't do anything. He's going to have to turn over the property to to you, right? So therefore, next up, her let them write a proxy to one another, and then you can represent both parties, and you can go and collect from the person to recoup on your things. What's that? No, you don't. Know. You're not splitting it. It's going to be all for you because that guy, the guy in the fifth, already has his property. He's happy with it. You're just going to take. You just need to be able to collect from the guy. I'm collecting him. You have to be representing him that he can't push you away. John, we'll stop over here.